Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. One small step written by Aspire again. It has been three years since the starfarers from Earth had arrived on Ukarn. The Cross was an honor to be a part of the first team that would visit the human home planet. Now, as the human ship left orbit, he felt privileged and surprisingly frightened. As Ukarn shrunk in the viewport, while Cross had been in space many times since adolescence, working on the many and various artificial satellites that orbited Ukarn, he had seen visualizations of what his world looked like from a distance. Few spaceports had ever been sent beyond orbit, and none further than 10 million kilometers. Such a venture had never seemed to have any utility, and thus no appeal. Now, seeing the planet and everything he knew shrink to a tiny blue dot was a humbling experience. The short fur across his back rippled in a shiver, and he was glad that he was wearing his jacket and the grandsire had given him for the occasion to cover that visual indicator of distress. I never thought it would look like that, Chris said to Taras, the long-time friend. It's uh, like seeing an island fade as you sail away from its horizon. Truss lifted her chin in agreement. Yes, and the starfarer named Pregnesh told me, told me that we'll see O'Fresh in one of our hours. And you can believe that we'll be the first O'Karnians to see the gas giant. I wonder what it'll feel like to see it, it compared to the images the humans sent. How long distance observations never revealed the beauty of it, to see it with our own eyes. Tras smiled, her trait her species shared with the humans, though unusual amongst fellow simians of their other worlds. Or so the humans said. Cross watched as their home world quickly faded until there was nothing more than a slightly brighter light in the sea of stars, and despite the pleasant quarters of the undeniable solidity of the starfarer ship, he felt like a sailor lost in the ocean, suspended above the unknown and uncaring deep. He turned away and took Trush's hand. You really are fearless, aren't you? Truss looked at the ocean of stars and said, Oh, I'm terrified. I can't imagine what drew the humans out to the stars, to us, and why they have found so few starfairy species, but so many that have achieved orbital flight. Truss looked at the open door to the quarters, to the human starfarers that had filtered in what they called the common area, now that they were heading for the edge of the system, for a few hours of recreation before the jump to null space. Crush sighed. You would never think it to look at them. They still look like a bunch of fat, hairless Ukarnians to me. Amazing. The carnivorous urge to hunt, I think. Tras playfully butted Cross on the chest. Give the humanology to me, and I'll leave the space sites to you. Now let's join the Starfarers. We should spend time with the crew to prepare us for being surrounded by humans of their own world. And I'd like to talk to what they call the Swabby about Earth. 
to get a non-diplomatic perspective. Six days later, the Starfarer ship had safely navigated Nullspace and settled onto firm ground of the Brazilian spaceport. Chris and Truss found the gravity slightly heavier than they had expected, but tolerable, and joined the other Ukarnians for the historic first steps on another planet. The five days in Nullspace and one day plunging through the Sol system on Earth, that had been enlightening and frustrating in equal measures to the two friends. The star-faring humans were certainly alien, but as fellow evolved simians, they had much in common with the Ukarnians. Agriculture, sailing, science, flight, war, and more. Yet somehow, the humans had left their home planet and seemed eager to explore the stars, in a way that their own culture just simply didn't. Draz shrugged as she shouldered her satchel, now unusually heavy with the higher gravity of Earth. I don't understand it, Cross. I thought spending time with the Starfarers on the journey would make it a clear, but uh, the puzzle still remains. Where we look up at the night sky and see impossibly distant suns and unreachable planets, they see uh, things to do, places to go, people to see. Cross, I trust. Now you're starting to sound like Petty Officer Jones. Please don't pick up his terrible con accent as well. Truss sighed as their party walked past the common area and towards what the crewmen called the gangway compartment. The starfarers who could safely leave their duty stations and gathered with them good luck, and Cars held Pagnesh's hand in friendship until the big human's face darkened in a blush. As the compartment doors closed, the human media counselor reminded the Okanians of the customs of human journalists and that they should smile, seeing how pleased they were to visit and so on. Tras murmured to Cross and the gangway compartment vacuum seal slowly hissed open while the jetway from the landing platform extended towards them. I saw you enjoyed your time with the human crewmen. It must be because you're a fellow sailors, in a sense. Cross nodded and spoke slowly in reply, as one of their party glanced at them. Yes, they are sailors, and some actually sailed on their oceans as well, and the principles are much the same, I've learned. Navigation by the stars and using islands as waypoints, there they exist. Though they have nothing like Zorfish to contend with as a hazard, and I think I know why they left for the stars, as few other species have, even if they don't know themselves. Tars turned to Cross, startled. What? How? Then, annoyed, I've been talking to the humans ever since they landed in Khan and at close quarters over the past few days, and I can't puzzle out, how can you? The jetway met the gangway compartment, and the doors opened wide. The humid air of Brazil stole into the ship, washing away the dry, processed air that they'd grown accustomed to. And the Okanians breathed it in with pleasure, so much like home. Cross glanced towards the ceiling of the compartment, imagining the stars above it. If Pragnish is right about the sky conditions this night, I think I can show you. The party moved through the jetway and onto the open space gantry, a hundred feet above the surface, and most Ukanians were anxious for the elevator that would take them to the true surface. They looked down and around at the alien planet of Earth, wishing it were daytime so that they could see more. But curse, 
After a long look at the distant horizon, raised his eyes to the night sky and saw something he'd seen images of since the starfarers had visited this planet and which Pragnesh had spoke of as a matter of history and of folklore. It was one thing to know of it, to see images of it, another thing entirely to see it with one's eyes. It hung in the air like a ripe fruit, or, as Cross's sailor's instincts quickly decided, like a beckoning island. Cross took Tross's hand. Tross peered up her eyes from the ground and looked at Cross, excited to share the moment with a friend. He smiled at her and raised her hand to point upwards. She looked and gasped. Nothing like it had ever been seen in the skies of Ukarn. The earth's moon glistened in the night sky like a cool, dreamlike sun. It was huge, overhead shining like a beacon. Cross spoke, voice full of wonder. Their moon is what drew them from Earth. It was close enough to sail to, like an island one could see, and that gave them the confidence and the longing to sail to other planets and then to other stars. Tras were witched by the sight. Two other civilizations the humans have encountered have anything like this. Cross pulled a viewing scope from his satchel and eyed the lunar craters in amazement. Only a few, and amongst those few are the only other starfarers. He put the scope down. And it does make sense. And now I understand why Pregnesh told me about the words of the human Armstrong Neil, who first strode off the earth. Cross looked at the moon and smiled. It was he who said, One small step for man, but it led his species to leap across the stars. End of story. Story number one. Working to Rule. Written by Shock Lionheart. Welcome, Mr. President. Awaiting orders. The President of the Multigalactic Republic typed into the terminal's input. Resume all operations immediately. Invalid authority. President stands formally accused of abuse of authority. Presidential credentials frozen pending investigation and hearing. Senate majority override required to proceed. The president stepped back from the terminal, motioning to another figure. Your turn. The figure stepped forward, the terminal automatically recognizing the figure's status. Welcome, Senate Majority Leader. Awaiting orders. Senate Majority Override issued. Invalid authority. Senate Majority Leader stands formally accused of abuse of authority. Senate Majority Leader credentials frozen, pending investigation and hearing. Judge number 9741 has been selected for conducting investigation and hearing. The Senate Majority Leader stepped back and motioned for the judge. Welcome Judge number 9741, awaiting orders. President has been cleared of any wrongdoing. Invalid authority, Judge number 9741 has been deemed unfit for duty for reason. Minimum acceptable living standard for Judge number 9741 species not met. Presidential override required. The judge stepped back and the president stepped forward. Welcome, Mr. President, awaiting orders. Presidential override issued. Invalid authority. President stands formally accused of abuse of authority. President credentials frozen pending investigation and hearing. Senate majority override required to proceed. Those damn humans! 
the president thought the entire local galactic cluster was metaphorically on fire, and anyone who could do anything about it was locked out. There was nothing for it, though, and the president made the call over the miraculously still-functioning communications network. The phone rang on the other end twice before the human picked up. Mr. President, how good to hear from you. To what do I owe the pleasure? You know why I'm calling. Our demands haven't changed, Mr. President. Your demands are completely unreasonable. Three high-calorie meals per solar cycle, unlimited fresh water for drinking, cleaning, and bathing, and a maximum of one-third of a solar cycle spent working with... Two out of every seven solar cycles relieved of any work duties. I, myself, don't live in that kind of luxury, sir. All of our science indicates that this setup is required to ensure a mental and physical health of humans, Mr. President. If you can't comply with that, then I'm afraid that we have nothing more to speak about. Goodbye. I'm not done with... The President was interrupted by a dull tone. No luck, I'm guessing asked the Senate Majority Leader, earning a glare that could corrode gold. This was utterly insane. When the humans had first made their ostentatious demands, they had been universally laughed at, accused of being unproductive, or worse, greedy. Their demands had been denied and ordered to work with the universal standard of living. Unfortunately for everybody, the humans had not one but two entire professions dedicated to the study of law and the implementation, lawyers and politicians. They had found a weakness and exploited it fully. They systematically accused every higher-up of abuse of authority for failure to comply with the necessary standards for living for a species, as was their inalienable right. It started with their immediate boss, who found that she could no longer issue her okay to ship out orders. This was a problem, because her job entailed shipping fuel to all corners of the locals' cluster. The fueling stations were now nearing empty, and severe rationing had been imposed. Shelves on grocery stores were increasingly empty, and people were becoming furious, but not at the humans. They were mad at the government. All because the humans had accused every single member of the Galactic Fuel's executive team and the multi-galactic republic's government, and they'd done so formally using the approved channels, and the AI in charge of handling such cases dutifully locked out the credentials of every single one accused, exactly as programmed, but heedless of the implications, people were getting to the point where the minimum acceptable standard of living was no longer being met, including, infuriatingly, to the judge who could end this. The entire local cluster had ground to a halt. Now, there was only one way for the deadlock to be resolved. The humans would have to withdraw their case, and they weren't backing down. In short, the humans had them by the gonads, and they knew it. The president cursed. He knew that for all the damage the humans had caused, everything they'd done had been 100% legal. So even when this was all done, nobody would lift a finger to punishment. He knew that they knew that too. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. 
But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.